Hey everyone, welcome to Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast meant to strengthen our personal connections with Jesus Christ, as well as deepen our appreciation for His role in our Heavenly Father's universal plan of salvation. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is here with me. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into uh, let's get into this week's scripture block. The continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, part two. <laughs> part two, Matthew six and seven. Yep. Awesome. That's what I have. That's what I prepared. So <laughs> that's what we're page. talking about either way. That's right. It doesn't matter what um, what it's regardless of what you prayed for or what you prepared for. Um, I, I loved your invitation from last week. I uh, there's a, a handful of people who took that uh, to heart and said, mm-hmm. "All right, typed in like this is the one that I've been thinking about the Beatitudes and um, this is these are these chapters are some of Jesus's most famous teachings. The ones that we uh, that are ingrained in us, that become a part of who we are, how we how we are supposed to be living as true disciples. Um, and then teaching-wise, these are some great ones to take advantage of in families and classes because um, most people love two things in teaching. People love stories yep. and people love object lessons. Yep. Those two things. And, and these chapters, I feel, Matthew 5 from last week and then 6 and 7 this week, really open it up that you can do a ton of object lessons and a ton of stories and people's personal experiences coming into that. And, yeah. and so just going through that, that would be just a very basic teaching prompt or idea for them just to say, all right, pick one, pick some stories, pick some examples, pick some object lessons that can relate to all of this. Yeah. And starting with chapter six, one of the things that Jesus takes as he transitions from this be there for perfect and this raising the bar and at the end of chapter five, he now, he now kind of transitions. And it's, it's important to remember and we've broken this up and sometimes the way we break things up, whether it's breaking up into chapters or lessons, we do it a service because we we kind of forget to add at the beginning of chapter six. You know, this is the continuation. Yes, there was no chapter breaks back. No, then. yeah, and we ought to remember that it's almost like when you'd watch those old ser- those old TV series and then say, "Hey, uh, previously on Psych or previously on Bones," it, to give you a recap to remind you that what's going to happen in this chapter or in this episode, you is a continuation of what happened in the last episode or the last three episodes. And so the Savior's talking about, in, in my classes, we talked about the, the Come Follow Me from last week. One of the things that one of my students pointed out is that it's almost like Jesus is pointing out from chapter 5, this is, this is the direction these commandments should have taken you. The commandment, thou shalt not kill, should take you in the direction where you don't even get angry with your brother. Don't the get com- close. The commandment, don't commit adultery, is meant to take you in the direction of becoming the kind of person that doesn't even lust after uh, another man or woman. And that that's the purpose of these commandments. And and so then in chapter 6, as we pick up where he left off after saying be perfect, he then picks three things that we do all the time. That ought to, ought to also, similarly to those commandments, should also be having an influence on what we become. Praying, fat, well, he's first service, acts of alms. Yeah. Uh, the NIV study guide says acts of righteousness. Uh, Latter-day Saints, just service. Mm-hmm. And that can be, it can be our fast offerings, which would be kind of more equivalent to what we think of when we think alms of giving alms. Or something. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But also the acts of service of shoveling a walk or, you know, taking somebody cookies. All of those are the acts of righteousness yep. that he's referring to in at the first of chapter six. Then he goes into praying. And then he goes into fasting. All things that we do often in the church that ought to be having an influence on who we're becoming. Mm-hmm. I love that. And and I love that he points out there's there should be the right reason for doing this. Yes. And that's uh, 
the, the Greek in, in 2a, you can see this down here. It says, uh, and this is just the first example of when he's going to start calling this out. But in verse 2 of chapter 6, it says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Yeah. And you can be like, well, that seems harsh, but this this uh, hypocrite, it's a pretender. It's a Greek word for pretender. I love that. <laughs> I do too. I love it. Tell, tell us why. Why so, do you love that idea? Throughout all of the New Testament, it seems like the one group of people that the Savior is going to get frustrated with are the pretenders, mm -hmm. are the hypocrites. And I and in my own wrestling with why is that? Why is it like he he eats dinner with the sinners? He I, he's he's soft and tender with the woman caught in adultery, like. There's a lot of things, and we'll, and we'll get to that when, we, when that chapter comes up in John, but there's a lot of reasons for him to be critical of her, but he's not. Yeah. In fact, I love – I, and I don't know how much we've – if we've mentioned it all, but the Chosen episode of yeah. dealing with that. I love the tenderness that's there. But when it comes to hypocrites, man, there's not a lot of tender. There's not a lot of tender-loving TLC there. Um, and I think part of that is, is as long as we pretend, I, I, anytime the word hypocrite comes up, I go back to um, Elder Uchtdorf's talk when he talks about the, um, the Temkin villages. Is that what they're, what's it called? I think so. Temkin villages. The, the, the leader of Russia at one point wants to see her, her kingdom. And so she gets on a boat and she floats she down, down the river. The river. Mm -hmm. And these, the, the village leaders or the city leaders, they realize they don't want to look bad. So what do they do? They put up this fake front, huh? like, a they employ, like a scene set. Yeah, and they employ the homeless, these people who have no jobs. They employ them part time while the boat's going by to look industrious, <laughs> and to look like they're doing that. Yeah. The, the, the city, the, the economy, that everything's thriving. The problem with that, and this is why I think Jesus is so hard on the pretenders, because as she goes through, and I don't know what her, I don't know what she would have done, but assuming she was a righteous leader and that her desire in going down and seeing the villages was truly to identify weaknesses and to help what a good leader should be by putting up those fake walls you totally incapacitate that leader in helping your city thrive mm -hmm. your city needs help that's why you've got the homeless that's why you've got your buildings are run down and you have to put up fake fronts but by putting up the fake front you keep that leader from helping you she goes back to her throne in in, in uh st petersburg or wherever it was at the time and sits there and thinks everything's good yeah and, and now i don't it's not that jesus doesn't know what's wrong with us but by putting up those fake fronts we stop him it, he's not impeded or as far as his ability to help us isn't impeded except for the fact that we don't let him yeah it's the second nephi principle that the holy ghost brings things to our hearts not into our hearts and as long as we have that pretend front up the holy ghost is is almost incapacitated in its in its ability to bless us and to bring about the changes we need and and don't you love then that jesus is working on individuals and that's why some individuals receive justice and some receive a, maybe a greater share of, of mercy in a certain instance it's the same jesus yeah there but i i take a lot of happiness and solace in the fact that he speaks to us and works with us individually that he really knows if you're really trying 
that some people, like these pretenders, they are trying, but they're trying to do the wrong thing. They're trying to fool everybody else. And he's saying, you want your reward? Fine. Everybody else will notice you. Yep. If you wait to shovel your neighbor's walk until you know the time that the bishop is driving by. So he's like, what a good minister he is. Yep. Like, oh, what a he's like, that's that's the right wrong reason for it. Yep. Now, it also doesn't mean, and these examples of he says, you need to you know pray in your closets or do it secretly. He's also not saying you need to sneak out at two in the morning and shovel your neighbor's walk. Yeah. So that brings but up it's a the really intention behind it. You know what I mean? That brings up a really good point because from the beginning we said, look, chapter six is a continuation of chapter five. There had to be people sitting on the mount or in the plains as they're listening <laughs> to the sermon going, wait a minute. You just said that a city set on a hill can't be hid and that a candle isn't put under a bushel. And now you're telling me to do things in secret. What is it? And so I think part of the tension that would have been a part of this talk, along with a lot of other things, uh, as he calls into question their, you know, what's going on in their society, one of those is this intentional tension or contrast that he creates himself. The Savior creates this tension between, I want you to be a light on the hill. I want people to see your good works. But I don't want people to see your good works. And so what is it? And 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 it does it comes down to the Savior in each of these examples it points out, he's, verse 1, take heed that you do not do your alms, or that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Verse 5, when it comes to praying, uh, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. And then when it when it, the fasting verse, verse 16, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Everything they're doing, these hypocrites want to be seen as these righteous, pious individuals. And and so in each one of those, the Lord says, they've got their reward. What's the reward? You're seen as righteous and pious. Right. Um, however, the reality is, Heavenly Father has way more to give us than the popularity of men. And I think this is one of those great ver sections of verses where the law of the harvest comes out. If you sow seeds and, and desires uh, for to be known by other people of, as being a righteous person, then you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. and it. And it goes on later on in the chapter. The, the Lord is going to say, um, oh, let's see. Verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. One of the things I did this time, rather than breaking it up, so usually when I study this, I'll, I'll take these three, you know, service, prayer, and fasting, and we'll talk about that. And then I'll change directions, and we'll say, okay, now let's talk about your treasure and yeah. your heart. Now let's stop and talk about masters. Mm -hmm. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. And then and then let's stop and talk about worrying for our hearts. And this time I, I stepped back and I thought, okay, I won't, what's the message that goes through all of it? And with each one of those, it seems like he's focusing on our hearts. Like, where is your heart? Yeah, amen. Where is, what is it that you want the most? And I find it fascinating. If you tie 33 back to everything else, it kind of sounds like Jacob in Jacob chapter 2 saying, look, if you don't seek for the kingdom, all these things will be given to you. I think including, I mean, we all want to be seen as a righteous person. We all want to be trusted and and, and seen as a, as a good human being. And I think... The message, if you take 33 and, and trace it Lace backwards, it through. he's saying, don't worry about all that stuff, and it will come to you. Yeah. Like, if you have the right desires, there's going to be times when people see you doing your good works, and there are going to be times when nobody sees, not even your right hand, right, with one of the verses. Yeah. Um, and it made me think, like, is there a time when Jesus, like, 
what are the times when Jesus does things to be seen of men? And what are the times when Jesus does things quietly or anonymously? Um, and just two examples, one of each. In Matthew 8, 14, at the beginning, or 8, 4, at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus heals a leper. And he tells the leper, and he, you'll see this several times, he'll tell the leper, don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. But then in the very next chapter, you have the, the guy with palsy and his friends bring him over and they lower him down. And he's in front of, he's teaching everybody. And he says, well, and, and there's that cool exchange where he says, your sins are forgiven. And then the, the scribes are in the back. And who can forgive? How can you do that? Yeah. And then there's this line that the Savior says, but that you may know. And so there seems to be this, like, the reason why you're doing it. I'm going to do this right now so that you learn something about my, not, not me as a person. Look at how cool Jesus is. But me as my role as the Son of God, as the Redeemer, as the Messiah. So that you know that God's given me this power. And it, it, that, I think, is it, it speaks to President Nelson's statement of, in the last days, you're not going to be able to make it if you don't have the, the spirit of revelation. Yeah. It's going to be the Holy Ghost that's going to tell you when you should do it out in front and when you need to do it quietly. And and that's tricky. That's hard. Um, I found really is. two really, just two quotes that I really like on motives. R Robert D. Hales in 1988 said, we need to examine our motives each time we make a decision. Beware of fear and greed. And so one of the indicators that we're making decisions or that we're doing things for the wrong reasons is that we're afraid. So we're afraid of punishment or because of greed, because we want to get something. Um, if those two things are leaking into our, our motives, then then the chapter six becomes us. Mm -hmm. If we can examine ourselves and say, yep, I'm good. Those things aren't, that's not the reason why I'm doing it. Then it's kind of the chapter five. Let your light shine then. If you're not greedy and you're not afraid, then let your then then let everybody see it. Yeah, and and I, you've already hit on it, but I just I would just reinforce that principle of the Lord cares so much about our hearts, what's going on inside of them, and that being our, our motivating factor. Because sometimes people think a hypocrite is somebody who says one thing and does something else. Well, and if that's the case, you look at any disciple of We're Jesus all Christ. Hypocrites. Everybody is. Yeah, and that Especially, was one of the things. Yeah, it, I've thought about this as a teacher. Yeah. As a teacher as. A, been teaching the gospel since I was 19 in the mission field. Yeah. There is no greater hypocrite than me because I've taught the ideals. And yet, over and over and over again, there are examples. In fact, maybe every single podcast we do, there will be an example where I'm not hitting the ideal. Yeah, and, and that's that's not where our faith lies. Our, our faith doesn't lie in the example of all of these other people, but it's really what's deep down inside of us. And that's why we take so much hope in the fact that Christ is our true judge. He knows that, okay, why are you doing this? Why are you sharing the gospel? Why are you bearing your testimony in front of others? Why are you doing service? Why are you ministering? Why do you serve in your calling? Why do you make podcasts? Why do you fill in the blank? And he's always looking at our hearts saying like, okay, what's really deep down inside of there? What are we really digging at? Why are you, why are you fasting? Why are you praying? Why are you, why are you serving? And I, I love that, that reminder for each one of us that, even though we fall short, we are still trying. I, I really think that a lot of those cases where Jesus is very kind to the woman taken in adultery in the temple is that, wonder if maybe it's a hiccup in life, not really who she truly is deep down. I, I don't know that and on either side of that story, but that's what's so great is that he sees maybe not even exactly where your heart is, but where it can be. Mm -hmm. And so when he's saying this idea of you're a pretender, you're a play actor, you're just going through the motions, that's not valuable. Yeah. Unless you're going to take the opportunity to keep trying to change your heart 
and, and keep like, even though you don't have all of the pieces together right now, don't quit. And that would be one of the takeaways I have from this chapter is don't stop. If you're like, well, I, sometimes I keep commandments so I can get blessings. Okay, maybe that's the first uh -huh. step, but don't stop if that's your only step right now. To be like, well, I'm, I'm guess I'm done. It's still better to, to do things and to work on it, to grow into it, because that's what he's saying is that these other things will come. So I, I, I love that. I remember being a missionary and having somebody share with me uh, a quote from President Packer, and I've never gone back to find it, and so this could totally be false doctrine. <laughs> but it's something President Packer would say. I'll, I'll, maybe he could. Caveat, that'll be the caveat for this. He could have said this, and he would have said this. It's, it sounds Boyd K. Packerish, um, But it was this the idea of, I don't care the reason why you go on a mission. And, and the context was talking about missionaries that go into the field for the wrong reasons. To, to make mom and dad happier because their girlfriend won't marry him if they don't or you know or, or the the selfish reasons of I, it's gonna make me look better to get into BYU or whatever the whatever those reasons are to, to avoid or to get or whatever um, there was a missionary in our mission that uh, I never knew him but the story was like he was of heroic not heroic mythic proportions <laughs> about a kid who he served a mission because he served a mission simply because his dad promised him whatever car he would get he wanted when he got home um, and and President Packer saying, I don't care. I don't care why you went on a mission. But if you stay out there long enough and you immerse yourself in the work, eventually our motivations change. The reasons you stay in the mission change. Um, and I, looking at motives, Elder Ringwood said uh, in 2012-ish, um, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the desires of our hearts can be transformed and our motives can be educated and refined. And so to echo your point, like, don't stop. The, the point of the gospel isn't to discourage us to the point of giving up. It's a, it's a message of no matter where you're at right now, keep going. I've got a plan for you to get you where you want to be. And the other great news of the story is, is you don't have to be the one to do it. The message is, is that I, you and I aren't even the ones that have to change ourselves. Jesus has taken that upon himself. All I have to do is kind of put my heart in the right place. In fact, in 620, uh, this was something interesting I learned this time going through. Um, looking at uh, something, another, uh, just looking at Wayman's uh, commentary and, and translation, he points out that some of the earlier uh, manuscripts in verse 20, when it says, lay up, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, or where thieves do not break through and steal. The, the idea here is, in the original, has to do with moving where you keep your treasure, not changing your treasure. So I've thought about this, and I thought, okay, well, then what is the treasure? If I'm moving my treasure from one location to another, and, that, and, and you see that in the King James Version, lay up, don't put your treasures on earth. And so to me, as I read that and as I've thought about it, I thought that my treasure, the one thing I have that's mine is, is my heart. That's the only thing that's mine. Um, it's Elder Maxwell's. The only, the only thing left for you to lay on the altar is you. Yep, your will. And so what we're doing is we're removing our heart. Instead of placing it on things that rust and break and, and decay, we're taking that away. We're, we're removing our heart from those temporal things. And we're putting our heart, and in, and synonymously with that, I would say our attention, our focus, our you know our time, we're placing our heart on eternal things. And again, I think that 
that idea plays out through the rest of this, whether he's talking about no man can serve two masters or don't worry about the world. Um, you know, don't don't take thought for what you'll eat or what, which to me seems you can obviously take that to an extreme. But I think the I love the verse where he says uh, at the very end of chapter six, therefore, take no thought for the morrow for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And thought a lot about this, and you and I had some conversation because of some some new things going on. That you can't afford to worry about things that haven't happened yet. Yeah. Like this twenty four hours has got enough things to worry about in it. Don't yeah. stress and 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 put your heart or your worries into things that haven't even transpired yet. Focus on what's in front of you. Do the things that are that are eternally important. And then just kind of find out multiple times through here, you know, in, in teaching us how to pray. And then later on in talking about the needs of the temporal man, Jesus says, God knows. He knows you need something to eat. He knows you need something to wear. And and so and the idea that you can worry about it to the point that it's going to improve that situation is silly. Yeah. Uh, one one of the you, you mentioned this and the early missionaries of this dispensation like the Parley P. Pratt's and stuff mm-hmm. when they when they went out on missions they they took five this. cents in their hands yeah and they're like all right we can do this and there's a story in Parley's autobiography where they bump into another set of missionaries who were headed back home they're like we ran out of money and we can't stay here or they're sleeping outside or whatever it was they and Parley goes into the same town and he says we'll find a place to stay and. Uh, and food to eat. And he's like, well, how much money do you have? He's like, I got nothing. <laughs> I'm broke. <laughs> and he talks to the innkeeper, and he just mentions who he is. And he says, we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we would love anything that you could give us. And the guy's like, sure, okay. <laughs> he's like, not a member of the church or anything. And I, it's it's that type of faith where he's he's saying, like, I am totally dependent on God. Mm-hmm. And and that doesn't mean that Parley was lazy. I don't think that's the, the case yeah. of it or not, or not thinking. But he's saying... You can you can trust the Lord for a lot of things and and these verses this is by the way such a such a beautiful song when he's talking about the consider the lilies of the field mm-hmm. um, the fowls of the air Heavenly Father feeds them He clothes them Solomon wasn't anywhere near as arrayed or as beautiful as those lilies and every single sparrow that falls he notices he sees them all like do you really think you're that much better than than a sparrow? And that he's taking care of you and all of these other things and and all he's asking above that. So that idea that you mentioned, put them all together, these verses down here below that, all I think can connect back up to 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, look at all these things God will do for you. Why would you not serve him then? Do you really want what the world has? Do you really want the world's treasure? Do you really want the world's praise and recognition? No, you don't. None of us do. If if you'd list out any of your like your greatest treasures, most of my life I would have been like an old 64 Ford truck that I just love and I still have it, uh, a dirt bike, and I have an autograph of Steve Young I got when I was a little kid that is like I had on my nightstand. People had girls, and it was always Steve Young on my nightstand, clear up till my mission. Probably after my after I got married too, it was like picture of my wife and I and Steve Young right next to it, and I just and it's in my office here. I I love it. It is like seriously one of my greatest treasures, partly because of the story and things that are behind it. But I know that like if God says, okay, what's your greatest treasure? It's not even close. Uh, I I know that. My family, my relationship with God, 
my covenants that I've made. That's what I want. And and just a, a kind of a silly um, object lesson that can go with this. Um, have you ever seen it when people try and drink? Uh, you put one straw in a drink and one straw outside of the drink, yep. and you try <laughs> and you can't. Yeah. You can't drink the drink, okay? And so you could do this with little kids and be like, all right, get them a, their favorite soda or juice or something, chocolate milk, and just like, okay, one on the outside, one on the inside, and like you can't do both at the same time. Yep. It, it, it's impossible. And then to then relate that to the world that you're you're not going to get both. You're not going to be recognized and loved and just cherished by the world and by God, especially when you're trying to please the world first. God will always take care of you. And so take no thought for the morrow. Control the things that you can. You can control your relationship with God. Work on that. Yep. And the idea that, and, and, and you see this to a certain degree. I, I'm fascinated with the balance between, or not the balance, but maybe the, just the, the, the from the praise that President Nelson gets, um, I remember when he did his prayer of gratitude that he put out over social media. Yep. It was fascinating to go and read the comments underneath that. And I, to be honest, I, and I'm kind of a comment troll. Like, not a troll. I'm a comment <laughs> purveyor. Junkie? Junkie. That's a good word. Yeah. And I'm always interested to see what people are saying. And so when he did that, I jumped over to YouTube and I'm like, oh, what are people going to say? And it was so fascinating how many times I saw a comment that followed the lines of this. I'm not a member of your faith, but man, I needed this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it, we sure could use I, – I'm a Catholic and happy to – but we could sure use more of this in our world. And mm. and the fact that President Nelson, because of his focus, is, you know, verse 33, all these things will be added to you. He is – he does get some of this popularity and some of this. And and as his time as a surgeon, he, he had some incredible experiences and was able to kind of pioneer some really incredible procedures and, and machinery that, that enabled – open heart surgery but that i think we've seen especially in the last 10 years social media has allowed popularity to to swing so quickly um it's it's shocking how fast someone can be in the world's favor and and with one ill-perceived email that was 10 years earlier i mean i just from the world of nfl i coach gruden was like a golden boy mm-hmm. in the NFL for a long time. And then there's an email and that from 10 years ago or 12 years ago that, that comes to light. And then all of a sudden, he's out of favor. And I just, to me, there's... The world is fickle. It is. It, it, the, you know, it, it talks about the winds. And in Idaho, I just finished building this shelter for our pigs. Mm-hmm. And I've situated it because I know typically what direction the wind blows. Guess what? When the direction the wind started blowing, like I'm pulling out. The last nail. I'm pulling out of the property that night. I I I nailed it up, got it all situated. I went inside, did a few things, and came out. Got back in the truck, and I'm looking at the direction the wind's going, and I'm like, it's blowing right into their shelter. And that to me is the world. (laughs) Um, Anything else with chapter six? No, let's let's jump over to seven. I I I think one of the sometimes I probably do this too much when I teach, but I. Try and get like a catcher question at the beginning, uh-huh. something that like riles people up, gets their attention, makes them like disconnect, shut off from okay everything else they're yep. worried about in school or relationships or whatever. And this is one of the the questions that I've I've asked a bunch is is it okay to judge? Mm-hmm. And you get like a very much like a polarizing thing like nope, yep. And most people are like nope, and then you're like okay, all you know is read verse one, judge not that you be not judged. You're like booyah, yep. <laughs> like I knew, ah. I knew it, and um. 
in, in verse 2, so there's a great Joseph Smith translation in 1 that says, judge not unrighteously that you be not judged, but judge righteous judgment. And in verse 2, for what with with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. I, and to, to help them identify what are situations you should be judging and what are situations you shouldn't be judging. Notice I said situations, not people. Mm-hmm. That the Lord is saying, like, it's not your job to judge other people. Like, you're going to heaven, you're going to hell. That That's not what Good you'll ever do. Person. Yes. But it's, can you make judgments about, should I spend time with this person? Should I spend time doing this activity? Should I watch this type of show or this type of movie? Those are judgments God expects us to make. Mm-hmm. That he says, follow all of this example. And earlier he's like, in, in chapter five, he's like, cut off your cut off your right hand, cut out, pluck out your eye. If that's the thing that's going to, well, you had to make a judgment then yeah. that your right hand or your right eye is slowing you down and keeping you out of heaven. Therefore, you've got to make some type of judgment. And so I, I love that distinction because this is something that a lot of us need to be reminded of in terms of, okay, what judgment is he talking about? And then, of course, to bring it back to three, because how is it that you can see the the beam, the the moat, the little speck, the little piece of, of uh, a splinter that's in thy brother's eye, but consider us not the beam, the huge building beam, the two by four that's in your own eye. That's not the person you want to have help you anyway. So yeah. first work on yourself. Yeah, could you imagine having a brain surgeon that was like basically blind? No, I got this. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Just let me muddle <laughs> around in here for a minute. Hold but, my sunglasses. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I, you could see that. And yet that's kind of what we do. President Kimball said uh, a long time ago, long before even I think my parents were born. In, in 1949, Spencer W. Kimball said uh, to contrast – the, or the contrast between the huge beam and the tiny moat brings to our attention forcibly that we mortals should totally avoid judgment of our fellow man. I love that that idea of totally avoid it of men. Mm-hmm. Now there are some situations. I, and again, situations. Yeah, I think there are there are some people who, because they've been hurt in the past, when we have conversations about forgiveness or or this idea of judging not, they worry that. This is going to require them to put themselves in situations where they're vulnerable and susceptible to be hurt again. Yeah. That's not what we're saying. Not at all. We're saying, no, there are some situations where you do have to judge and say, that's not a safe place for me. And and this commandment to judge not is not requiring you to put yourself in a dangerous place. And I think that needs to be said. That's kind of one of those important little caveats that Absolutely. when you're talking about forgiving others or judging not judging others, that's not what we're talking about here. Um but he says, but elderly. anyway, President Campbell goes on to say, um, let's see, the beam in our otherwise, my, I've used, I wrote this back when I could see, <laughs> back before I got a beam in my eye. Um, when a beam is obscuring our own vision, how can we know their motives, intents, and desires? And not knowing, how can we judge righteously? And I just, I love the fact, this idea that um, in order to understand the truth, you know, everybody thinks that their version, like, I know what happened, and I'll say what happened, and this is what this is what happened in that situation. The problem with knowing the truth, Doctrine and Covenants says, in order to know the truth, you have to know the past, present, and the future. And not just about what you were thinking, but, but what about everyone else was thinking. And so it's actually, you know, Elder Christofferson points out that truth is actually an impossible concept for mortals to grasp without divine aid. Because we can't know all three of those things. 
And, and so I, I love this idea that um, you judge situations, not, not people. Yeah. And, it, and that allows you to keep yourself safe, but also forego the, the problematic. Because if I consider, if I'm unrighteous in my judgment and I willy-nilly just determine that everybody around me is a wicked, evil person. Guess it's coming back your way. <laughs> the Lord's going, well, that's the, that's the standard you set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your standard you set for other people was essentially perfection. So guess what I'm expecting from you? Yeah. And that's, that's problematic, at least it is for me. Um, you, you remind me of uh, uh, Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, tells this story of uh, one of the habits that he identifies, one of the seven, is first seek to understand, then to be understood. Mm-hmm. And he, he shares a story of a uh, busy subway, probably in New York City. And as they're riding it, there's a man with uh, oh, four, four kids. And the kids are bouncing off the walls and like grabbing people's newspapers and just causing a ruckus and making people irritable. It's the end of a long day. All these people are headed back home. And finally, uh, one of the passengers speaks up and says, can you control your kids? Because the dad has just been sitting there kind of like zoned out the whole time and not paying attention to his kids. So this passenger says, "Do something about your kids. You need to like, they're, Step they're up, yeah, dad. yeah, they're they're causing all this these problems." And the guy looks up. And he's like, "What?" And they're like, "Your kids. They're going nuts." And he says, oh, "I'm sorry. We're just leaving the hospital. Their mom just died." And he said, "You could t- feel the mood change in the car, in the subway car, where they're like, this passenger who has said that all of a sudden said, "I am so sorry." I didn't know that. What can I do? What can we do? And all of these people around who are sitting there obviously bothered are like, yeah, kid, play with my newspaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sit right next to me. Or nowadays, take out your cell phone, let them watch a YouTube video on your phone. Like your whole perspective changes because now you understand them a little bit more. And it's because that beam is out of your own eye. You're so We are so focused about what's going on right now in front of me that we don't tend to look at, okay, where are you coming from first? Yeah. And and I love I love that story and how it relates to these these verses. So let me ask you, and this is something that I I, I don't know that I have the answer for it, but I'm interested. The Savior gets to this part of the story: get the mode out of your own eye first, and then you'll or the beam out of your own eye, and then you can see to help other people. And then he he says, "All right, um, give not that which is holy to the dogs, and cast your don't cast your pearls before swine." What's the transition there? Um. Or is there one? Is this like yeah? This well, it gives you one of the symbols, right? So it's it's a change. Yes. And so at least in the writers who are putting this together, they're viewing this as this is a separate idea. We had a little in a little intermission and yes, go get a drink and then come back. We'll be we're going to start this lecture again in five minutes. Um, I I think that you definitely could just like you did in the previous ones. There was chapter or there was uh, paragraphs Mm -hmm. uh, splits up in in six. Um, but I, I think you could do the same thing here because you see it in six, but, and you can see it in seven, but you can put it all together. I think we have to make judgments about what do I need to share or give to other people? And and I think it's important to understand what's the holy thing that he's talking about. Well, it could be things that are important or sacred to you. It could be things that, um, my mission president had, had said before, he's like, uh, if somebody's not going to listen to your testimony, don't sit there and try and pound it into them. And he said, you can walk away. There's other people who want to hear it. Don't waste your time Don't on people that, that that are going to disregard you or hate you. There's too many other good people out there who are seeking for goodness. And therefore, there's sometimes there you might get into an argument or something online or otherwise where you're like, I, I shouldn't be arguing with you. I'm just going to walk away. And as soon as you quote the scripture to them, they're going to come unglued. But, <laughs> yeah, so but that, that idea just, of like you just need to make the judgment call and say right now. This is not the time for me to be 
spending time with swine. So and here's, <laughs> here's what I find fascinating about the placement of this. Yes. Jesus has just said, don't judge people. <laughs> and then he says, don't give your testimony to swine. <laughs> but haven't I just judged that people are swine? Haven't They're nice swine. swine. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated with this, but I think some of it is also situational. Yeah. That the, 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 the dogs or the swine here, uh, it's not necessarily that you're, as a person, and maybe this plays into what we were saying before about somebody who's been hurt in the past doesn't need to put themselves in a in a situation right. where they're one-on-one with that person yeah. in the future. And, and, and maybe just looking at the situation and saying, you know, based on what's going on in your life right now, this isn't – this conversation isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I – I guess as I've wrestled with that, because I just – it's fascinating to me that, that – The placement of it. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting. But that you can't take this verse 6 and remove it from the context of verses 1 through 5. And that uh, we don't get to use verse 6 as a justification to look around and and look down on others. Right. The, the context – everything he said 1 through 5 still stands. Now, how do we put verse 6 with those verses? And and part of it is, I think, situationally, like your mission president saying, look, some people aren't going to be – aren't going to take that. You know, They're not going to receive that message. Um, but that doesn't mean that person's not going to receive that message a year from now. Right. Um, you know, and, and I just think for us to make – it seems like – I think it was President Oaks that made the comment that there's eternal judgment, and that's what we get away from, mm-hmm. this idea that it's totally appropriate to say, you know what, right now this isn't – this isn't the conversation you and I can be having. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that that can't be somebody you speak civilly to mm-hmm. or that you are respectful to. I, that's that's not in here. Yep. Th- those things still count, and you still need to be a light, and you still need to serve God. Yeah. And you still, like all of these things all fit. And they I, all fit I, inside. Yes, you don't yes. get to as a, choose. Yeah, yeah, we can't identify one verse that fits our emotions at the time and say, well, verse 6 says – but he also said these other things, mm-hmm. and and that's part of coming to understand the scriptures is where does it fit within the whole? Yeah. And I think sometimes when we're attacked by by those that are antagonistic of the church, they do the same thing. They pull one thing out of context and they isolate it without leaving it into the whole of Latter Day Saint theology. Yeah. And and that's that's verse six is is an example of that. Love that. Any any final thoughts from? Um, on the mount, or from seven, six or seven. I I yeah. I love the the stone and the fish, um, fish and Great. the serpent, yeah. or stone and bread and fish and serpent. I just think that the Savior, one of the things the Savior is trying to do over and over and over again throughout His life is get us to see God more clearly and trust Him more fully. And and His His example of every single one of you. If you have a son that asks you for something, you're not going to you're you're not going to respond poorly. And then ultimately, if if you as earthly, mortal, finite beings can look past the weaknesses and imperfections of your sons or your daughters and still treat them well, how much more likely are you to get exactly what you ask from from an eternal God who sees not only where you're at right now, but knows your potential, your eternal protect, potential, and how to help you get there? Yeah, I, I love that. I... Uh... I want to do one of the other ones, but I, I just want to add add on to that. I uh, when I was younger, my I had some neighbors that uh, they'd ask their dad for anything, and he'd always say no. 
hey, can you play? No. <laughs> my dad said no. So I, I told him one time when I was, and then I was pretty little, so cut me some slack. But I said, your dad's the no king. <laughs> and and uh, somehow this got back to him, and he didn't appreciate that very much that I had called him the no king. This wasn't Britta's dad. Was no, 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 no. This is go. No. Okay, good. <laughs> and uh, I, I just thought, uh, as a father, I read this differently, that are there things when my kids ask them that um, – I, I should give and maybe in times where I'm tired or I'm frustrated that maybe I'm a little bit more short with them than I should be. And it helps me. Um, my relationship with heavenly father has gotten better because I'm a father mm-hmm. and because I, I see what it's like to have children and to want to give them what they need. And I really think that if, if rather than viewing heavenly father as like that, ah, I'm crossing my fingers. I get what I want from him. To he really is my father, and he really wants to give me things. Yeah. He really wants to take care of me. That that verse in seven is probably the seven and eight. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and shall be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. Um, that's probably one of the most repeated ideas in all the scriptures. Yeah. And and I love personally that asking, seeking, and knocking are not the same thing. That to just ask is a lot different than knocking on a door to then going and seeking something. Mm-hmm. And in our prayers that sometimes we ask and God just gives it fast. And sometimes we have to do some knocking on heaven's door. And there's other times that we have to go really seeking. But in all of those cases, it doesn't change my relationship to who God is and what he wants to give me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, final thought. You that was it. One of these others? No, I'm you okay. Good? Yeah. Okay. All right, well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Have a good week. Well, thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me. Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you so thanks again for joining us on take a second and we will see you in our next episode <laughs>